in June 2021, um, Colette was almost one, Corey was three. Janelle and I had been doing Bible discovery with our uh, pastor friend Morgan at that point for a good year and a half. Janelle and I at that time decided to get baptized and give our lives to Jesus and give our testimony and... Bobby 100% was like, yes. And I held out. I told Morgan, I don't know, I need to think about it. Um, I'll let you know closer to that date. And so about a month before he flew out, I told him, I'm in, I'm 100%, let's get, let's, uh, let's get baptized. So we got baptized here in the backyard. About six months later, in December of 2021, I was having some pain in my armpit and decided to get it checked out after feeling something. Uh, and it turns out it was cancer and I was diagnosed on January 17th. 2022. So thankful that we had found our faith already at that time and could lean on God during the times of not knowing, like especially the first few weeks. Looking back, it really is a blur. I don't remember a lot of the last year. I just remember focusing on my treatment and my girls and just trying to keep things as normal as possible. It was really important to have faith at that time because all throughout the first 30 years of my life, I lived as if this was our only life on this earth and, and then kind of fully leaving that behind and now 100% believe that this is not the only life and there is an afterlife. I leaned on that big time uh, during the last year, just knowing that no matter what, that I was gonna be with Janelle for eternity. Leaning on that during that time was huge. I mean, my faith during that time, it's hard to dissect. Um, I didn't lose my faith. I don't want to say it wasn't a priority, but my priority was just my kids, my treatment, and just, you know, one foot in front of the other. So I leaned pretty heavily on your faith, on Bobby's faith. And that's really what got me through. Another kind of good thing that came out of it was one night we were just laying in bed and I just started, started to read the Bible to Janelle, and that kind of became a nightly bedtime routine, probably from your either first or second chemo treatment on. Yeah, because um, I was really worried. I just had so much worry, um, naturally. Yeah, in um, fact, I so. think the first passage I read to her was in Matthew, the do not worry passage, and it just kind of went from there. You know, luckily God pulled through and healed and comforted her throughout the way. And uh, after surgery was done and she was recovered in uh, October, uh, she felt well enough to finally start going to church on Sundays. And so we decided to check out Mission Viejo Christian and just kind of fell in love with the church from there. Uh, Pastor Mike's messages just, you know, coming straight from the Bible was exactly what I was looking for. And then we also found just the best community. It's really the friends and families we've connected with um, through the preschool is truly something I believe was just orchestrated by God because we hit it off right away. Um, we met three new families just this year. And by Thanksgiving, we had a Friendsgiving together with all the kids. At Christmas, we had a feast together. It's, it's really amazing, the support and love and it's just such a blessing that we found the community that we found here. If I was going to tell someone who was about to start their faith journey 
I would say write things down. Write down your prayers because it's amazing how they'll be answered and it, it'll just reinforce the reality that he's real and he answers prayers. And uh, and I'd say for anyone just starting their journey, the biggest thing for me in getting my journey started was just starting to actually read the Bible. I had zero clue what was in the Bible growing up and until, gosh, probably age 32, 33, when I started reading it, it was nothing like I imagined what the Bible would be like. You know, if you're just starting out in your faith, just get into the Gospels and start reading about the life of Jesus. and. You know, he's changed my life, our lives for the better, and um, if you open up your heart to him, he can change yours too. Woo! All right. I want to thank Bobby and Janelle. Thank you so much for sharing your story with us. Incredible truth, and most of all, just, you know, the vulnerability in being able to share your story and see how God can come through the times that we don't know what's going to happen. That's why I believe in the resurrection. To see life change, to see a family change, to see what God can do, it's absolutely amazing. I am so glad that you're here and through the story that we just heard and saw uh, through Bobby and Janelle, um, weaving that through his story. My prayers in the next like 20 minutes or so, God just really meets us in a powerful way about the power of the resurrection, even when we're walking through a difficult season of life. Amen? Amen. I was 17 and a half years old and just feeling empty, just feeling like there was no purpose, didn't know why I was here. Every time I tried to grab it, some kind of purpose or meaning, um, it just kind of came up empty. I was going to Capo High School, and uh, when I was there, I was just trotting along, just doing my own thing, trying to uh, play tennis, and that was my, my big deal. And I was confronted I didn't realize how much God loved me through an invitation that I received to go to a Christian concert down in San Juan. Previous to that, I was invited to go to church. I didn't grow up in church. I didn't grow up with any religion, God, or anything. And so um, as I was invited to church many times, I was like, I'm not going to church. Why would I go to church? Those people are weird. All they want to do is poke the Bible at you, tell you what you're doing wrong. They want to tell you how good they are, and they want your money. That's, that's, what, it's, that's what I thought was going to happen. And something was missing in my life. And that moment that I knew that God loved me through this pastor that got up with his blue jeans and a t-shirt on. He wasn't screaming and yelling. And I saw and heard that God is personal, that God could save us, that God could save me, that one day when I die and leave this earth, which by the way, nobody's guaranteed, but one day we're all going to leave this earth, that there's a guarantee we're going to be with him forever in a wonderful place called heaven. And I didn't know all that. And so when he gave the call, I was like, I'm in. That's why I'm supposed to be, this is what life is about. I remember that moment. And for about the first six months, man, I was all in. I gave, got baptized, got, started reading my Bible, started going to church. All of a sudden, these church people were like really nice. We were going to Mexico, building homes for people, serving God, going to high school ministry. And like life was like totally changed. And then about six to eight months into it, problems started to become bigger than I realized. And then when I got married and had children, there were bigger responsibilities, not problems, but bigger responsibilities. And I remember succinctly, I remember that I was washing my car uh, in my driveway, just lived right over here by the YMCA, and I had a black Mustang, by the way, it was really cool. And um, I was washing my car, and there was um, some folks, guys who came up and talked to me and had questions for me, and they certainly were pushing some things on me, and the questions that they had was this. So we heard you're a Christian 
We don't believe in that. Why do you? All that I knew, man, all I knew was Jesus saved my life. I didn't know anything other than that. So all I knew at the time was, well, Jesus changed my life. But at that moment, I felt like I need to know why I believe this thing. I need to know this is really in my heart and he's really changed me. There's a world out there that's desperate and dying and needs to know the same message that I was able to be confronted with, with love and with kindness and with patience. You know, when Jesus walked the earth, the disciples put all their hopes, all their dreams, the 12 that he handpicked, they put all of their hope in him. But when Jesus died, all hope was lost. These guys were fishermen, tax collectors. They were um, the outcasts of society. No one wanted to do anything with a tax collector. And here Jesus picks these men. And when Jesus dies on the cross, which Easter is all about, it was Joseph of Arimathea who said, you can use my tomb. Interesting that it was a borrowed tomb because he knew, Jesus knew he was only going to need it for three days. They rolled the stone in front of it. Pontius Pilate put a seal on that and guards were right in front of the tomb and nobody was to, to break that seal. If the Roman guards allowed anyone to move that tomb or break that seal, they would be headed right on the spot. It was over. I can't believe it's ending this way. Peter and the apostles absolutely must have been distraught. Their hope was dashed. Now what are we going to do? He was supposed to set up his kingdom in Jerusalem, and now he's dead? This, this is not the way it was supposed to be. I wonder if some of us here today have felt like, this isn't the way it was supposed to be. I thought when we got married, it was going to be like honeymoon all the time. I thought when we had kids, they were going to like obey everything we asked them to do. I thought life was going to be great. I thought friends would never leave. I thought we'd never get cancer. I thought that we'd never have money problems. I thought if I accept Jesus, all of the problems will stop. Not really. It doesn't happen that way. Why was there a trial all night for Jesus to be put to death? Why was everybody talking about him? Why was there, the entire Judean area was talking about Jesus? I think there were three reasons I think when Jesus was on earth, Jesus was extremely authentic. He was real. He was just real. He was down in the streets with people. He didn't wait in some high prayer tower and said, everybody come to me. He was down with the hurt and the pain and the heartache and problems and questions and everything that people wanted from Jesus. He was right there. I think the second reason is because Jesus loved everyone right where they were. Just like Jesus loves us right now. God loves us not as we ought to be, not as we should be. But as we are, I think the third thing is people wanted to be part of something that was bigger than themselves. If God is real, if there's a mission, I want to be a part of that. And when they saw Jesus and his mission, there was this coming together. We want to be a part of it. I think the biggest reason that they put Jesus to death is because he claimed to be God. He did. He claimed to be God in flesh. The Messiah sent for us, sent for the entire nation of Israel and the entire world. He said in John 10, 30, I and the Father are one. And then in Mark 14, when the high priest was asking him before he died, are you the Messiah? Are you the Christ? Jesus said, I am. When Jesus said, I am, that brought up for the Jewish people. I remember when God was talking to Moses in the burning bush and Moses asked, who shall send me? Who is the one that's sending me to, to Egypt to free the Israelites? God said, I am who I am. There is no limit to God's name. He is all-powerful. He is almighty. He is all-knowing. He is omniscient. He is omnipresent. He knows everything. I know it seems like our world is spinning out of control, but God is present. He is 
always for us and he still has his hand on the throne. I'm just thinking about when Jesus said, I am the great I am. It resonated with so many people. I'm I'm thinking about also what set Jesus apart from any other religious leader. When, When he was here, word was out that Jesus could do miracles. Jesus was in a small village, a small town. In fact, word had got out there were hundreds, hundreds of people that came in to a small house, a small village house, and there were even outside everywhere. Nobody could get in because it was so packed. People were listening through the windowsills. They were listening over on rooftops just to get a glimpse of Jesus and hear what he was teaching. There were four guys who had a friend who was paralyzed. And he thought, if we get our paralyzed friend to Jesus, he possibly could heal him. We got to have faith. So they brought him to Jesus, put him right in front of Jesus. And as Jesus looks at that man, the very first thing he says is, son, your sins are forgiven. You are forgiven because of your faith. I just think in all reality and just how this account went, I think the guys who were with the paralyzed man thought, well, that's great, Jesus. We're glad he's forgiven, but can you heal him? And Jesus heals the man. He gets up, rolls up his mat, and walks out in full view of them all. And it says, everyone, praise God, we have never seen anything like this man. Jesus claimed that he could forgive us of everything, and he did. Why were the disciples scattered? Why did they leave? Why did they lose all their hope? No savior, no son of God, no miracle worker. Hope has died. They nailed him to the cross. It wasn't supposed to be like this. And I can just imagine, as they lost all hope, they all, watch this now, all of them who followed Jesus, they all fell away. They all lost hope. They all had a moment of either disbelief or they questioned Is it all really true? The reason I just think this is so important before I get to the good part of the account of Jesus' life, there have been moments in my life where I've had a faith crisis. There's been a moment in my life in walking with Jesus, God, is it really true? God, are you there? God, what are you doing? God, what are you allowing to happen here because... I don't like this. When my wife was diagnosed with cancer, much like Janelle and and Bobby's story, I just remember at that moment when we sat in the doctor's office, it was my wife that reached out for the doctor's hand and said, I know I have cancer. She was consoling the doctor. Me, I ran out, went down to the to the, uh, to the elevator, went up and down, up and down. The only thing I could do was go up and down in the elevator because I was, at that moment, felt lost. This can't be happening. How could my wife be having cancer? She's the most kind, loving person. She's my favorite. God, why are you allowing this? God, are you there? Are you there, God? Maybe for some of us, we've had experiences like this. Thank God, if this is you, I'm out. Or maybe you were raised in the church or went to church or maybe involved in a church and something went south in the church, which can I say, it's going to happen. The church is full of mixed up people. Well, we serve a perfect God, but we're certainly not perfect. And sometimes pastors and leaders and church people sometimes make mistakes. But sometimes we just get too busy. We just get too busy and we get into the OC life and I don't know, God just kind of, God, I still, I know you're there. It's just that you're kind of on the back burner. Or maybe there's been just moments we've had of doubt and fear and frustration. Or maybe we've said, God, this can't be happening. 
If you've ever felt like that, I want to say that we're all in good company. That's exactly where Peter, James, John, Bartholomew, Thaddeus, Thomas, James, all of them had a moment of a faith crisis. In fact, it got so bad when they left when Jesus died that they huddled at one point into a place called the upper room and locked the doors for fear that the very same thing was happening to Jesus was going to happen to them. These are the disciples. They saw the miracles. They, they, they had an opportunity to pass out the, the five loaves and the two fish and watch 20,000 people be fed. Come on. Resurrection, really? I don't know about that. I, I don't know if, if all that's real. Let's get in the real world. Jesus coming back after three days? I, I, I don't know. Listen, if you've had questions like that, it's okay. Through questionings and doubts, we can find the truth. There have been some questions that have come across our way. One of them that um, I think is a really good question. Okay, this resurrection stuff, okay, but I think Jesus, what happened was, I know what happened. Theory number one, he really didn't die. What happened was they beat him and tortured him. They crucified him. He hung there for six hours. And really what happened was he slipped into a coma. And as he slipped into a coma, the the Roman soldiers thought he was dead. They took his body off the cross, put him in a borrowed tomb for three days with Joseph of Arimathea. And they thought it was over. And then miraculously he resuscitated himself pushed the two-ton stone away, barreled through the Roman guards and said, I'm back. The only problem with that is that I love God because in the book of John, he knew that we'd be sitting here today. In the book of John, it says, when they threw the spear in the side of Jesus, blood and water flowed. We know that that's cardiac arrest. I'm not a medical professional, but little that I've read and understood is your heart has stopped. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, all the four of the Gospels say Jesus actually died. Here's the other one. There is no way, because the Roman soldiers were professional executors. They they crucified thousands of people before. There's no way they're going to miss it on this one. They're not going to let any question come into play about Jesus' death. They had to make sure that he was dead. That's why they threw the spear in his side to finish the task. And, and, and with all that, I understand the question, but it really, in a logical way, it doesn't make sense to me. The reason I'm sharing this with you is my journey is, man, I needed Jesus because my life was out of control. I was missing something. I needed the love of God. I wanted to be forgiven. I wanted to walk with God. I wanted to know God, but I didn't know how to articulate that. I didn't really know, for someone who has some honest questions, how do we really know that he's alive? Okay, well, I can give you that one. Jesus didn't really slip into a coma. I can see that that's kind of a far-fetched thing. I'll tell you what happened. The disciples were so lack of hope and so fearful and so frustrated and distraught that they snuck in in the middle of the night after they put Jesus' body in the tomb, Saturday night, late Sunday morning. They barreled through the Roman guards. They pushed the two-ton stone away. They stole the body, buried it a mile away, and they lied about it. The only problem with that theory is that Pontius Pilate made sure that that seal was on that tomb. And anyone that breaks that seal, every single one of the Roman guards would be beheaded right on the spot. 
You're going to tell me that fishermen and tax collectors barreled through and the, the, the Roman guards said, oh my gosh, these, these fishermen and tax collectors, they're overwhelming us. How about this? They lived 30 to 40 years. The disciples, every single one of them, the 11 of them lived 30 to 40 years after that. Every single one of them died a martyr's death. They died for their faith. I mean, some horrible stuff that happened to them. One of them would have said, wait a minute, whoa, whoa, whoa. Before you skin me alive, before you lower me into this boiling, boiling, boiling water, before you shoot me with arrows, before you crucify me as they did Peter upside down, I'll tell you where the body is. One of them would have said, oh yeah, we'll tell you where it is. Does this make sense? The only logical conclusion is that Jesus did rise from the dead. Until they produce a body, until they give me some evidence. Otherwise, I'm staying with him. I'm staying with the fact. Something happened on Sunday morning. Let's read this together in John chapter 20, verses 1 to 18. Uh, Early, early on Sunday morning, while it was still dark, Mary Magdalene from Magdala came to the tomb and found that the stone had been rolled away from the entrance. She ran and found Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one whom Jesus loved, and she said, they have taken the Lord's body out of the tomb, and we don't know where they have put it. I just want you to see for a second, even Mary of Magdala, who Jesus changed her entire life, she had trouble. She thought maybe the body was stolen. She didn't believe yet that he was resurrected, just like maybe some of us. Is it all really true? I'm not sure I believe. God understands that. He knows that. Peter and the other disciples started out for the tomb, And when they were both running, the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. I like this because John wrote this, and he just wanted us to make sure that he knew John got there first. I got there first before Peter. Can you see these guys? He stooped down and looked in and saw the linen wrappings lying there, but he didn't go in. And Simon Peter arrived and went inside. Aren't some of us just like Peter? I'm going in, man. I don't care. I got to see. Is this really real? He also noticed the linen wraps lying there. I just want to say, if, if Jesus resuscitated himself or somebody stole the body, why would they go back and wrap all the linens carefully and leave them as they were? It had to have been God who was behind this whole thing. Amen? While the cloth that had been covered, Jesus' head was folded up and lying apart from the other wrappings. Then the disciple who had reached the tomb first also went in, and he saw and believed. For until then, they still hadn't understood the scriptures that said Jesus must rise from the dead. Then they went home. Mary was standing outside the tomb crying, and as she wept, she stooped down and she looked in. She saw the two white-robed angels. Wouldn't this be awesome to have been there? This, this, This all really happened, by the way. One sitting at the head and the other at the foot of the place where the body of Jesus had been lying. Dear woman, why are you crying? The angels asked her. Because they have taken away my Lord, she replied, and I don't know where they have put him. She turned to leave and saw someone standing there. It was Jesus. But she didn't recognize him. Dear woman, why are you crying? Jesus asked her. Who are you looking for? She thought he was the gardener. Sir, she said, if you had taken him away, 
tell me where you have put him and I will go and get him. Do you see? She still is in a place of disbelief. She wants to honor his body. She wants to prepare the spices and do everything that was right to do in the day. Mary, Mary, Jesus said. She turned to him and cried out, Rabboni, which in Hebrew is teacher, don't cling to me, Jesus said, for I haven't yet ascended to the Father, but go. Go and find my brothers and tell them, I am ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. Mary of Magdala found the disciples and told them, I have seen the Lord. She gave them his message. Wow. So, if you're here today and think, I know Jesus has risen from the dead. I believe he's risen from the dead, but there have been moments in life that I've lost hope. These folks, every single one that followed Jesus had lost hope. They lost their way. They had been frustrated, bewildered. They had questions and even ran for their very life. So I want to say again, if you're here today and think, I don't know if it's all real. I think it's good that we're here worshiping today just to be reminded that Jesus really did rise from the dead. I believe that. And I believe that just because he changed my life, I believe that because it is true. The resurrection of Jesus Christ is the anchor. It's the core of Christianity. It's what sets Christianity apart from any other man-made religion. Any other person that could have made up any religion. Christianity is different by the fact that Jesus actually did come back from the dead. And we know that because he's changed lives. He has changed our heart. He has changed our perspective. Life isn't always easy. Life isn't always great. But I'd much rather serve and love God on this side than the way I was before. I know he's alive because the Bible is true. The Bible stands head over heels before any other religious book. They say there's about 220 world religions. The Bible is, stands head over heels before any other religion for these reasons. It was written a span over 1,500 years by 30 different authors on three different continents. And they all point to the same thing. It is amazing to me how the external evidence of the Bible, that manuscripts and artifacts that they dug up, archaeologists have dug up over the years and put in museums. If we were to fly to Israel today and find mounds of museums with all these artifacts, literally dug up a thing called Solomon's Colonnade. They've dug up things. They have records of people that actually lived. Every single person in the Bible, they can go back and verify these groups of people and nations actually existed. Three different continents in it all points to the same thing. There's no way that all of these people could have got together and collaborated their stories. They didn't even live in the same time zone. They didn't live in the same generation. It's absolutely amazing. The internal evidence of the scripture is absolutely, stands head over heels behind anything. Jesus Christ walked the earth. We know he was a real person. We know he actually lived, just like we know that there was George Washington, Abraham Lincoln. We know that these people exist because of the credibility of the records. Even without picking up the Bible, we know that there was a man named Jesus Christ who existed, lived in the Jerusalem area, died on a cross outside the city gates. He was crucified. Without even picking up the Bible, we know that's true. But what's amazing is that there are 300 prophecies about Jesus Christ himself. Every single one of the prophecies have come true. How could that be when God took a man named Isaiah in the Old Testament, Moses, David, and had these men and women write these things down? How is it that every single prophecy to this date so far, some of them haven't been fulfilled yet, but we're on our way. And I just got to say out of a personal conviction and little that I've read about the scripture and the signs of the times, we are close. We are close, I believe, to the second coming of Christ. And I want you to be ready. 
the prophecies about Jesus Christ, well, Jesus probably read the prophecies and then he fulfilled them himself. I guess on a few of those he could have. But think about these, where he was born, where he would die, who he'd be born to, when that would happen, things that were said to him while he was on the cross. The very birthplace of Jesus Christ was all prophesied. Jesus couldn't have controlled those. They said the odds of one man fulfilling eight of those prophecies is like filling the entire state of Texas with three feet full of silver dollars, putting one, painting it gold, throwing it in there, bulldozing over, giving one man opportunity to blindfold himself and pick one chance that, that, that gold silver dollar. That's the chances of one man fulfilling these prophecies. It couldn't have happened. Only by God. God gave us all of these evidences. Why? Because he loves us. He loves all of humanity. Everyone's welcome into the kingdom now. Everybody can come to Jesus. Everybody can have eternal life. And the message of the good news is that he rose from the dead. If Jesus didn't come back from the dead, we're just, we're to be pitied. What are we doing all this for? Wasting time at church, wasting time reading the Bible, wasting time serving people. We should just live life the way we want to live it. But because he has risen from the dead in 1 Corinthians 15, there is a reason for all of this. I'm so glad that we are saved by God's grace through faith, lest no man should boast. We don't have anything to boast about. I always tell people, if there's anything good that comes out of my life, because if you would have met me before I met Jesus, you wouldn't have, you wouldn't have wanted to hang with me. I was one of the most selfish people on the face of the earth. I made life all about me. I don't know if this resonates with anyone else, but I grew up here in the OC. I had an expectation that everything should be delivered to me. I wanted a hot car, I wanted good grades, I wanted a good college, I wanted to make it big in tennis, and I certainly wanted to have three or four different girls. I didn't want to have marriage and all that stuff. Why would I want to do that? I want to play the game, man, have fun. Then Jesus came into my life and he said, that's not the way, this is the way, I have something so much better for you. And because I have risen from the dead, that is the exclamation point of faith. And I believe that with all my heart. I hope you do. God created us. He wants relationship with us. We have all sinned. We've all done something wrong. There's not one of us in this room that can stand up and say, I'm perfect. We've all blown it. Lest we think maybe some of us here today, I'm so glad that you're here. Maybe just, maybe kind of just got busy. Maybe just fell away from, from faith. Or maybe think, gosh, this really doesn't reconcile my faith and what I really believe and things that are happening in this world. And sometimes we think the people in this place have it all together. And so the people outside of this place think, I can't go into that place because those people have it all together. I used to think, that, you see, you're laughing because you know. We don't all have it together. Jesus is the Messiah because he picks up the mess in our lives. He does that for every single one of us. That's why we're here. That's why we believe. Man, I need God more than ever. Does God really care about our nation? Yes. Does he care about the world? Absolutely. Does he care about black, white, yellow, red, rich, poor, famous, not famous, poverty stricken? He cares about everyone. He loves everyone equally. In Acts chapter 10, it actually says God does not show favoritism, but accepts people from every nation, everywhere. Everyone's welcome to come. Jesus fixed the problem of sin. That's why he died. It was the only way it could happen. I remember when I first got saved, I asked myself the question, why did Jesus have to die? Why couldn't he just forgive me? And the reason is because God is such a God of integrity. The Bible says in Hebrews that there has to be shedding of blood 
or there can be no forgiveness of sins. That's why in the Old Testament, in the Old Covenant, God says, I want you to take this animal. I want you to honor me and give it to the priest and they'll take it and sacrifice it for that year. And it just kind of rolls back the sins for the Jewish people of that year. But what was missing is the final sacrifice. That's why the Bible says Jesus is the Lamb of God to take away the entire sins of the world. Jesus saved us, man. Why wouldn't we follow God? Why wouldn't we say yes to Jesus Christ? These are the things that we get when we receive Jesus Christ on a personal level, on a personal level. Jesus' resurrection means we can be justified before God. Can I just put that in modern day terms? That means just as if you never sinned, just as if I never sinned. That's what justified means. When God looks at you, he looks at you through the eyes of Jesus Christ and he sees someone as perfect and holy and righteous like you've never done anything wrong. Is that the truth? No, well, yes, but do we still sin? Yes, but God chooses to see us through his son, Jesus. The book of Romans tells us there was no sin in his life. No deceit came out of his mouth. He never sinned once, and that's what qualified him to die on a cross. It had to be that way. I, I don't know how many of you have seen The Passion of the Christ years ago when it came out, Mel, Mel Gibson's movie. I can only see that movie once. It's so heart-wrenching. It's so disturbing in a, in, a, in, a, in a good way, I'll just say. Think that Jesus went through all of that just for me? It doesn't make sense. When I left that movie, I was wrecked for about a week. I, I, I couldn't eat normally. I couldn't do my normal. I just, it, it brought me to a place of Jesus. I just want to love you so much more. To know that you went through that for me because you did that not because of my performance. I don't have anything good to give you, God. I don't have anything in my life to offer to you, only my heart. And his love and his grace. I tell you, what, I feel sorry for people who are religious. Someone says, well, I don't really believe in religion. I said, I don't either. I don't consider myself a religious person. I just have a relationship with Jesus and it's all because of grace and mercy. You do not have to do one more thing to get God to love you. Once you get saved, you can't get more saved. Once you get saved, it's done. Jesus did it. It is finished. The veil was torn in two. We are now entering into his kingdom by his grace. And that's what it means to be justified. I don't know what it is, but even as your pastor, sometimes, and I will say on behalf of our entire team, sometimes we just lose our way too. Sometimes we lose some hope. Sometimes I forget. Why am I worrying about something when he's the king of kings, lord of lords? He's never going to miss a beat. He's never going to miss anything. He's going to see everything. He's already been to tomorrow. So why am I worried about tomorrow? I know that I'm justified because the Bible says so. And what's the second thing we get? Man, I'm so glad for this one. Jesus defeated death. Anyone here have a loved one that maybe has passed this last years? My, my parents passed away about three years ago. One of the most difficult things, and I've walked through death with lots of people. It's a privilege to be able to comfort and be there for folks. But when it happened to me, all I can say is I felt lost like I was an orphan. And then about two months later, after my father died, this thing called anger started coming up within me. I'm like, where is this from? And I had to walk through that process of grief to get to the other side, 
to remind myself, Jesus defeated death. I know my mom and dad are in heaven. They gave their life to Jesus Christ. I know they're there. My dad's running on those streets of gold. And one day, if you put your faith in Jesus Christ, you will be there, not because of good things we did, because we're not. Only God is good, and we received him. All right, number three is this. We can be united with Jesus. Isn't that good to know? Never will I leave you. Never will I. He will never leave us. He will never turn his back on us. He will always be there for us. And that's comforting because we got some dark days, difficult times. The only hope that we have for our nation is Jesus Christ. My, my professor said a long time ago, the only way to fix the problems of the world is one heart change at a time. You can't legislate morality. You can't make somebody do something and treat people differently and love people. It comes from the heart, man. Jesus being united with him means we have his heart. We have the mind of Christ through the Bible. We're able to do what Jesus was able to do through the power of his spirit. And number three is this. Jesus' resurrection means the gospel is true, man. It's true. I'm so glad it's true because I don't have to get good to get God. He already loved me. He already died for me. And the resurrection is the exclamation point to God's love. Jesus' resurrection also means we have hope in life. Oh, man. No matter what happens in this life, God, I will fix my eyes on you. I will keep my hope. I will look at the resurrection. I will know because you have told me through your word, and I know you're alive because you've changed my life. And I tried to change my life. I couldn't. But I know you're alive, God, and I choose to put my hope in you, God, even in the midst of all this stuff, in the midst of divorce and problems and kids running away and drug abuse and problems and mental illness and my family, all this, and all friends have left me and all these things, I choose to put my hope in you, Jesus. Jesus' resurrection means we are not alone. I'm so glad. I'm going to put my head on the pillow at night, and sometimes there are some dark moments. Why is it that sometimes at 3.33 a.m., why do I wake up worrying about stuff? I need to be reminded that I am not alone. Devil, you can't do anything to lie. You can't do anything to change my mind because I know that he is alone. Even when I don't feel him, I know he's there. Last one is this. He will give us power. I don't know if there's anybody here today looking for power. I'm not talking about strength and power over any person. I'm talking about internal, Holy Spirit, God-filled power that helps us to live every day in a new day. God says, my mercies are new every morning. I want to know that. I want to walk in that. That's where the power of the Holy Spirit comes. God is so good. I just want to close with this. There was a young girl in high school when she was age 14, her father came home, grew up in the church, grew up Christian, grew up, everything was fine, everything seemed wonderful, family was fine. She came home after school, put her books down, her dad was home, her mom was crying, says, I need to have a family meeting with everybody, brought everybody in the family room, bags were packed by the front door, she said, what is this? She thought in her mind. Her father stood up and said, I'm leaving your mom for another woman. And as he picked up his bags, he left and said, I love you, and left. There was something inside of her, especially age 14, that just ripped into her heart. It just ripped her guts out, her heart. Everything that was secure in her life was now spinning out of control. She left church, left God. A friend invited her to come back to high school group one night at at a local church. 
she came. The youth pastor gave a message. It so moved on her heart that she was in so much despair and so much distraught, so much pain over what happened. She tried to fill that void of her father every possible way, but everything kept coming up empty. And she gave her life to Jesus Christ for the first time in her heart. It was like God put a a salve on her broken heart. It was about six months later that her and a friend were in a movie theater watching the movie. Lights came up. She looked over on the other side of the auditorium and she saw her dad with his new family. Haven't heard from her dad in three years. As she watched her father holding hands with his new daughter, she runs out of the theater Immediately, back in the day when they had pay phones, she calls her youth pastor and says, I thought Jesus would heal me of all this hurt. Why does it still hurt? As he meets her at a pizza place, as she's weeping into her pizza uncontrollably, he says, I know, I can't say I identify with the hurt that you have, but I know what it means to hurt even as a Christian, even as a believer. But I want to remind you of this. Jesus still with you. And if you fix your eyes on him, he'll help you walk through it. Today, she has a story, even through the pain and the heartache and the loss of hope that resonates in the heart of many other women that have gone through the very same thing. His story is real. What about your story? Your story is worth it. You know what's interesting is that when Jesus was here for 40 days after the resurrection, he told the disciples as they were on the Sea of Galilee, couldn't catch anything. Throw the net on the other side. Peter, so frustrated and so angry about why Jesus died, didn't recognize that he was the one on the seashore. I can imagine Peter went something like, yeah, right. Wait a minute. I recognize his voice. That's the Messiah. That's Yahshua. That's Jesus. They threw the net on the other side. You remember this? All of a sudden, a catch. More and more and more fish. They couldn't even bring the catch. There was so many fish. They jump out of the boat and they meet Jesus on the shore. Jesus. As he has this meal with him. He wanted them to know, I will never leave you. Never. It all started on the Sea of Galilee. Peter, come follow me. James and John, come. Andrew. And it ended at the very same place. Where did it start for you? And I just ask for you just in this moment to return back to that place where Jesus met you. Or maybe when you didn't believe after you said, yes, I put my faith in him. And he comes back to reaffirm, I'm here, I'm with you, I will never leave you. And maybe for some of us, this is the place. You know what, Mike? I believe in everything that 
The Bible just says, I, I believe Jesus rose from the dead, but I've just gotten really busy. Or I just, you know, did the church thing and I just, we just got out of it. I was really hurt by a church experience. Or we went through divorce and I thought, God, where are you? And I was out. Can I just say this? No one in this room has it all together. No one in this room has every answer. But I know that he has. Do you want to know him? I'm not really sure. Do you want to decide right now? This is the best time. This is the best place to say, okay, Lord, I give you my heart. If you want to do that, I'm just going to ask at the conclusion right now that just every, if you would just, every head is bowed, every eye is closed, and I think it's a good thing to take a moment, just no distractions. And if you want to give your life to Jesus Christ right now, what better day than on Easter Sunday? I just want you to pray along with me in this prayer, and it just comes from the heart. It's not any magical words that come out of your mouth. It's just what comes from the heart. You just follow along with me. Jesus, I give you my life. I know I'm a sinner, and I repent of all the things I've ever done wrong in my life, God. Please forgive me. I surrender my life. I give you control. Thank you for dying on the cross. Thank you that you have risen from the dead just for me. And God, I receive you now. This is my prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. If you said yes today, we want to help you in just your first steps. And so there's outside, there's a connection point. But we'd be here, we'll be here at the front. If I would love to meet you as your first time. Love to just kind of help you in those first steps of knowing God. Thank you so much for joining us at Mission Vale Christian Church. Just know that we always have live services here every Sunday at 9 and 11 a.m. We'd love to have you here and we'll see you next time.